I was baptized into Christ on July 22nd, 2001. So I was 13 years old when I made this life-changing decision. I knew from an early age that I wanted to be in ministry, although I don't think I could have articulated what that actually meant when I was in junior high and high school. But I knew that I wanted to serve God with my life. As a new Christian, I was really involved in my youth group. I was given the opportunity to help lead worship in the youth band. I was invited to go on mission trips, and I don't think I ever miss camp in the summer. Uh, these positive experiences really help shape who I am today, and they're some of my best memories. But not every interaction and experience was positive. I remember going on a mission trip to New Orleans in 2006 to help with some of the cleanup from Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005, so this is about a year later. The trip was great overall. I mean, I learned a lot about how important it is to serve others, and I built some lifelong friendships. I remember riding on the charter bus on the way down, having a conversation with the youth minister that ended up changing the course of my life. Knowing that I wanted to be in ministry, I told the youth minister that I wanted to do what he did. I wanted to work at the church and share Jesus with as many people as possible. His response to my comment was not what I expected, and his words have stuck with me for a long time. I thought he was going to tell me that I could do and be whatever God wanted me to do and be. I thought he might offer to mentor me or give me some extra responsibility in the youth ministry. You know, the church had uh, youth interns at the time, and I thought for sure that he'd tell me how I could apply and be an intern after high school, but that's not what happened. Instead, he said 15 words that hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, if you want to be in ministry, you'll have to change everything about yourself first. I didn't know the youth minister very well. You know, I was a lot closer to some of our youth coaches and youth volunteers. And even to this day, I don't know if he was trying to be hurtful or helpful. But what I do know is this. His words hurt. They made me feel like I wasn't good enough or that God couldn't use me until I got my life in order whatever that means. This is one of the earliest memories I have of someone else's words piercing my heart in a very real way. I learned that day that the words we say matter. In fact, God's word has a lot to say about this important truth. Today, we're going to continue our series on the book of James, and we're going to do so by looking at a passage of scripture that highlights the power of the tongue, the power of our words, Many of us can remember things that were said to us years ago that were either extremely hurtful or incredibly helpful. James teaches us that even the smallest words can have an enormous impact, kind of like a rudder that turns a large ship or a small spark that causes a huge fire. As we've seen throughout this series, God's goal for all of our lives is to make us more and more like Jesus we call this process sanctification or Christ formation. As we talk about growing in our faith, we learn that God cares about every single detail of our lives, including the words that come out of our mouth. We live in a day and age where more words are communicated than ever before. I mean, between emails, phone calls, text messages, face-to-face -face conversations, and even social media posts. We throw out thousands of words every single day, often with little or no regard for how our words might impact other people. So the goal of my message today is so much more than encouraging people to stop cussing or telling dirty jokes. 
I want to encourage our church family to use every tool that God has given us to advance his kingdom, including our words. Uh, Friends, our words matter, and our words have power. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And as you're turning there, I'd like to give you a little bit of context for what it is that we're reading. Uh, This part of James... James is addressing those people in the church, Christians who wanted to be teachers or spiritual leaders in the church. Now, just like we see today, um, sometimes people can pursue these kinds of roles uh, with all the wrong motives. You know, when you're given a platform, especially as a teacher, um, there's a tendency to want recognition and uh, people hang on your every word. So James is highlighting the importance of our words, the things that we say. Now, we see that in the first couple of verses, but then he quickly transitions to instruction that includes all believers. And that's really what we're going to talk about today. So James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we'll read the entire passage and then we'll go through and look at some application. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So the Christians that James wrote to were having some serious problems with their words because this isn't the first time that he brings up the power of the tongue. You go back to chapter 1, specifically verse 19. James reminds us that we should be slow to speak. And then in that same chapter, in verse 25, he reminds us that if we claim to be religious but don't control our tongue, we're only fooling ourselves and our religion is worthless. So here in chapter 3, he circles back to this important truth, and in doing so, reminds all believers that the power of the tongue is one of the greatest abilities, one of the greatest powers that God has given us. You see, with the tongue, we can praise God. We can pray. We can raise our children up to know the Lord. We can encourage others. I mean, what a privilege this is. But with the same tongue, we can also tell lies. We can bring people down, people who are made in the image of God. Friends, the ability to speak is a God-given ability that's meant to be used to influence others for Christ and accomplish the good works that God has given us. Yet we often take this ability and responsibility for granted. 
In order to impress on us the importance of controlled speech and the consequences of our words, James gives us six pictures of the tongue. The bit, the rudder, fire, a poisonous animal, a spring, and a fig tree. We can put these six pictures into three classifications that help us understand the power of the tongue. If you're taking notes, the first classification is this. The tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct. We see this with the bit and rudder. James chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So in these verses, James gives us the first two pictures of the tongue, the bit and the rudder. Now, these are two things that are small, yet exercise great power, just like the tongue. A small bit enables the rider to control the movement of a very large horse. A small rudder enables the pilot to steer a huge ship. And likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body that has the power to accomplish great things. The tongue has the power to direct And friends, we want to make sure that we're directing in the right way. In this passage, we see that the bit and the rudder both have to overcome contrary forces. So the bit has to overcome the wild nature of the horse. And the rudder has to fight the winds and the waves that would otherwise drive the ship off its course. The tongue also has to overcome contrary forces. You see, we have a sin nature that wants to control us. We are sinners by nature and by choice. It's a sin nature that's opposed to God's will. There are also circumstances all around us, things that are happening all around us that bait us to respond to people and challenges in a certain way, typically in a worldly way. So our sin nature on the inside and worldly circumstances on the outside are seeking to control the tongue. Both the bit and the rudder have to be under the control of a strong hand. So a horseman has to learn how to properly control an animal that's a lot larger than himself. The pilot or the helmsman of a ship has to learn how to steer the ship in a way that keeps the wind and waves at bay. Like the rider who needs a bit to control the horse and the pilot who needs a rudder to control the ship, friends, we also need help controlling the tongue. James is reminding us that we can't control the tongue on our own. He's reminding us that we need to submit our lives to Christ every day if we're going to be able to use our words in the right way. In the book of Psalms, chapter 141, verses 3 and 4, David prayed these words. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift towards evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. David knew that he needed help controlling his tongue. He knew that he couldn't do this on his own. So he prayed and he asked God to take control and to guard his lips. I think David knew what Jesus taught in Matthew twelve thirty four. Jesus said, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So David knew that the problem isn't with the tongue. The problem is with the heart. When Jesus is Lord of the heart, then he's Lord of the tongue as well. A bit and a rudder have the power to direct, which means they can affect the lives of so many people. For example, if a wild horse breaks loose or a ship gets off course, a lot of people can get hurt. In the same way, the words that we speak affect the lives of others. The tongue has the power to direct. 
It'd be good for all of us to spend more time in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is a book of wisdom and has a lot to say about the power of the tongue. I'll give you three verses that highlight what I'm talking about. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I think we all know that to be true. And then here's my favorite one. Proverbs 10 verse 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I need to be reminded of that sometimes. So the tongue is like a bit and a rudder. You know, it's small, but has the power to direct for good if we allow God to help us use it in that way. Well, the second classification for the tongue is this. The tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue has the power to destroy. We see this in the examples of fire and poisonous animals. James 3, verses 5 through 8 says, In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. When our family drove to Oklahoma after Easter, we noticed a lot of farmland in northern Oklahoma that had recently been burned up. Now, like a lot of states, Oklahoma has a dry season when farmland is a lot more susceptible to fires. Now, what's sad is that the majority of these fires are actually preventable. They usually start because someone throws a cigarette out the car window when driving down the highway. Something as small as a cigarette ends up causing massive fires that destroy land and burn homes. In a similar way, James says that our words, as small as they may seem, can start massive fires. Proverbs 26, verses 20 and 21 says, Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fires light wood. And when I hear these two verses, I think about the number of preventable fires that have been started in local churches, all because of the words that people say. A lot of times, these are fires that are still burning today. When I hear these verses, I think about the number of relationships that have been broken because of the words that people say. Many of these relationships remain broken because there's been no real effort to heal. In Psalm 39, verses 1 and 3, David wrote these words, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. Have you ever had an experience like this? You know, you tell yourself that you're going to watch what you say. You're in a difficult situation, a difficult conversation, and the more you think about it, the more that situation just takes root in your life. You get hotter and hotter, and it ends up igniting a fire of words in your life. You know, I think we've all been there. David reminds us that a hot head and a hot heart can lead to burning words that end up hurting others, words that we end up regretting. It's clear that David had a little bit of a temper. We see this when we read about his life in the Old Testament. But he also recognized that he needed God's help if he was going to learn how to control his tongue. If you're a person who has a hot temper or if you have trouble controlling what you say, 
I want to encourage you to follow David's example. Not in the areas where he failed, but in the areas where he succeeded. I want to encourage you to give your struggle to God and give him access to that part of your life. Pray about where you need his leading and and be active about avoiding conflicts and conversations that might ignite a fire of words. I've seen fiery words completely destroy families. Fiery words completely ruin friendships and severely hurt churches. I think that's why James wrote these words in James 3, verse 6. He said, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. So a person's entire life can be injured or destroyed by the tongue. Not only is the tongue like a fire, but it's also like a poisonous animal. Now, our family loves to go to the zoo. That's one of our favorite pastimes. Uh, When we go to the zoo, my wife loves to look at the monkeys and giraffes. She likes all the cute and fluffy animals. But my sons and I, we like to see the dangerous stuff, all right, the dangerous animals. We like to see the lions, the tigers, and venomous snakes. Now, we like to see these animals, but we want to see them from afar or behind glass. I actually think it'd be child abuse if I let my kids go past the barriers just to get a closer look. So there's a reason that the zookeepers keep these animals in their enclosures. I mean, they're incredibly dangerous. If I told you that we were going to have dangerous animals at this year's VBS, I'm curious how many of you would keep your kids at home. You know, you wouldn't knowingly put your kids in harm's way. James tells us that the tongue has the power to accomplish the same kind of destruction as dangerous or poisonous animals. But... Where many of these animals can eventually be tamed by man, the human tongue cannot. The only way, the only way that the tongue can be tamed is by God. Remember what Matthew 12, 34 says. And Jesus said, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So if your heart is controlled by your sinful nature, the result will be speech that destroys. Friends, if you allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life, the result will be speech that delights. And this leads us to the third and final classification for the tongue. And that is, the tongue has the power to delight. The tongue has the power to delight. And we see this with the example of the spring and the fig tree. James 3, verses 9 through 12 says, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. In these last few verses, James highlights how unnatural inconsistency is. So he asks two rhetorical questions, and he does this to highlight the inconsistency in our lives, specifically when it comes to our speech. He says, can fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? Or can a fig tree produce olives and a grapevine produce figs? You know, when you hear these questions, the obvious answer to both of them is no. Yet from the same tongue, we gather together on Sundays to worship God. And then we go throughout our week, often using our words to wound other people. This kind of inconsistency is unthinkable to James. And it's unthinkable to God. That's why he says, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. The words of the person who's in Christ should delight, not destroy. 
Proverbs chapter 10, the beginning of verse 11 says, The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. A verse like this parallels what James wrote and reinforces the importance of our words. In the same way that water is life-giving, our words can also give life. We can speak words that are encouraging and words that point others to the truth of God's word. The tongue can also be delightful like a tree. Trees do a lot of great things. They provide shade, they provide food, fruit. But the most important thing about a tree is the root system. You know, if the roots go deep enough, the tree is going to grow in a healthy way. Now, we just planted two apple trees about a year and a half ago in our backyard. One of them is thriving, all right? I I can tell it's going to produce fruit. The other is not looking so hot. And if I had to guess, I would say that the roots just have not taken hold. Likewise, if our lives are deeply rooted in Christ, our words will be evidence of a growing relationship with him. One of the reasons Jesus was always able to say the right words was because he was deeply rooted in the word and he connected with his heavenly father every day through prayer. If you and I are going to have tongues that delight, if we're going to speak words that are life-giving words, we, we have to make reading God's word a priority. We have to make prayer a priority. See, what we put into our hearts and into our minds is inevitably what comes out. I heard a story this past week about a professing Christian who got angry on the job and let loose on some of his coworkers. Embarrassed by what he said, he turned to one of his coworkers and he said, I don't know why I said that. It really isn't in me. Well, his coworker wisely replied, It had to be in you or it couldn't have come out of you. Friends, the things that we say come from the heart. The tongue that worships God on Sundays and then turns around and wounds others who are made in the very image of God is in desperate need of spiritual medicine. If your speech has been inconsistent, I want to encourage you to get the right kind of medicine. I think the best place to start is spending more time in the word and in prayer. So I hope today's message has helped all of us recognize that the problem is not really with the tongue. The problem is with the heart. As we fill our hearts with God's word and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, God can use our speech to speak life into the lives of others. Now, at the beginning of the message, I shared with you how 15 words ended up hurting me in a very real way when I was younger. In closing, I want to encourage you to start using 12 words that can really transform the influence that you have With others. And if you use these words and you sincerely mean what you say from the heart, I think you'll find that God will use your words to bless and encourage others. The first three words are please and thank you. Please and thank you. When you use these three words, you're treating others like people and not things. You're showing your appreciation. The next two words are I'm sorry. I'm sorry. These two words have a way of breaking down walls and really building bridges. And for many of us, these are the two words that we need to use today. The next three words are this, I love you. You know, what a great thing to say on Mother's Day. Um, But words like this are not meant to just be words. They're meant to be lived out. So yes, say them, but then demonstrate your love through action. And then the final words are, I'm praying for you. You know, if you'll say this and you should, uh, be sure that you actually pray. 
I want to remind you that when you talk to God about people, it opens up the door to talk to people about God. Let me say that again. When you talk to God about people, it opens up the door to talk to people about God. So I want to encourage you to give your heart and the control of your tongue to God. And as you do, ask him to use your life to be a blessing to others. Ask him to help you speak life-giving words that point others to Christ. I think a great way to end today's message is for us to reread David's prayer from Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. It says, Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Make that your prayer this week. Pray those words. Spend time in the word. Give God control of your heart and your tongue.